What do you want? Screaming queens. Listen, I am two seconds away from calling the police. Screaming Queens Horror Podcast. What do you want? Screaming Queens Horror Podcast to your death. Something is trying to get inside my body, and you want to sleep with me. Better give me those shoes, they're mine. Give them back to me. Well, a, a boy's best friend is his mother. Hey, shouldn't you be folding towels somewhere, sniffing jock straps? It is time to keep your appointment with the Wicker Man. Rubs the lotion on its skin or else gets the hose again. What have you done to its eyes? I see no manhood between your legs. You're going to need death now. <laughs> the living dead. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Get away from her, you bitch. It was an asylum. And it was hell. 20 years of pure hell. The devil wins sometimes. What's that? Gods and monsters. Welcome to Screaming Queens, the horror podcast with the Queer Eye View. I'm Martin Fennessy and I'm your host this evening, here with the usual bunch of misfits. <laughs> On my left, I have... Stephen Moore. I'm Jonathan Larkin and I'm opposite him. <laughs> <laughs> it's very important you all know our position. I'm opposing him. <laughs> <laughs> And on my right, I have... Jonathan Butler. So tonight, we look at a film by George A. Romero, not one of his many forays into the world of zombies or ghouls. This one features a vampire, or at least someone who thinks he is, and this vampire is called Martin. My name is Martin. I'm 84 years old. People think I'm crazy when I tell them how old I am. I'd like to be normal. I just have a sickness. The only way I can survive is by drinking blood. It's not easy living the way I do. I have to be careful all the time. But I'm pretty good at it. I think as I get older, I get better. I haven't been caught yet. Martin, another kind of terror. You see, people don't understand what's wrong. They think that I'm a monster. They think I'm a vampire. People don't realize that those things I see in the movies are not real. I don't have a whole lot of women. It's nice to watch them. I watch them a lot all the time. I have to, to be sure that nothing goes wrong. I follow them. I plan. Very careful. I have needles now. I can use them. I can put them to sleep. And it doesn't hurt. Martin, another kind of terror. I would like to be like everyone else. I have to do things that I don't necessarily like to do. 
I want to stay alive. I do need blood. From the director of Night of the Living Dead, so our film begins with a sleeper train traveling through America, a woman traveling alone to New York City. A young man gets on the train at the same time, traveling to Pittsburgh. He takes a seat and sits playing cards. Eventually he gets bored, switches off the light where he's sitting and wanders through the sleeper carriages in the middle of the night. He goes to a toilet, fills a syringe and then wanders down the train a bit further on. Finding the woman's compartment, he picks the lock of the door. He enters the room and surprised to see it empty, he realises the woman is in the adjoining bathroom and conceals himself behind the door. He's overcome with emotion and slips into a black and white romantic fantasy. He, the hero with slicked back hair and billowing white shirt, and the woman beckoning towards him, longingly, adoringly. Quickly, we're brought back into reality, and the woman emerges from the bathroom wearing a face mask. (laughs) 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 And the two of them come face to face. He attacks her, and there's a struggle. The woman screaming, freak, rapist, asshole. (laughs) And while forcing her to submit, the softly spoken young man tries to reassure her. I'm always very careful. I'm always very careful with the needles. So it puts you asleep so it doesn't hurt. Her unconscious, he strips and undresses her. He kisses her and has sex with her. A moment of obvious rape as horrific lovemaking. Finished. He slashes her arm with a razor blade and drinks her blood. He's a vicious serial killer, at once tender and sensitive. Finished, he's brought back to reality, realising his journey is nearly done. He cleans, tidies the room, removing any trace of disturbance. He arranges the body and a bottle of pills to fake suicide and leaves the room. There we have our introduction to the character of Martin. At once plain, awkward and introverted, and also strange and dangerous. A misfit unable to connect with anyone. Is he the geeky zero he appears in real life? Or is he the handsome seducer and creature of the night of his dreams? Is he just a teenager, sick or bored and without hope in a small town with no prospects? We're here to tell you. (laughs) So... That's our introduction to to Martin. That's probably about the first five, ten minutes of the film. And it's quite a... It's quite a rich beginning, isn't it? It's quite a... You know, it's... So much happens in those first five, ten minutes and it seems to sort of um, whiz along at quite a pace. But the film takes on a different pace from then on, doesn't it? Can I just say that whilst you were telling that story, I I thought we should all join in and do, like, train sounds in the background. (laughs) (laughs) I was just thinking you need to get a job that's like um, an audible. Like, yeah. It's very hypnotic. If yeah. anybody wants to, I'm available. Yeah. Um, I think the thing about Ted Kemper, Ted Kemper did a lot of audio books, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. He makes written narrated them because he's got In prison, as part of like, yeah. the thing. And you can, um, you can listen to them, some of them can't, yeah. yeah I've listened to like a. I know the name of Kemper. He's a serial killer. He um, chopped off his mother's head and had sex with it. Why have I not heard of this one? Is, it, um, is there been an episode of my favourite murder or is it? 
He's he's famous. Famous. He's he's very, very famous. He's the, the main guy in Mindhunter. Uh, but, yeah, but you didn't watch it, did you? I didn't like it. So that means that you sound like a serial killer. <laughs> Essentially, like, <laughs> with the name fits. <laughs> um, I think I think you're right. I think it's a really good opening. It's really bleak. It's really depressing. Mm. I love that the train isn't romantic. I love a film set on a train, but I don't want to be on this train. Do you know what I mean? Mm, yeah. It's like a grim train that also reminds me of the sleeper train that me and Ben got from um, Krakow to Budapest. Isn't uh, Daughters of Darkness start on a sleeper train yeah, as well? Yeah, but that's got like a bit of a romanticised yeah. view, whereas the one that we were on was like going to sleep at a tumble dryer. <laughs> that's, the sounds are exactly the same on this train. Daughters of Darkness, I seem to remember them making love on a fair coat or something, yeah. like on a fair road. Yeah. This sleeper train no. is nothing like that. All you could do was give a quick wank. No. <laughs> Sound time. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I, I thought it was yeah, really, really rich opening and really disturbing. And I love um, what I think goes for the rest of the film is everybody's reactions to Martin are very realistic. Yeah. Like the woman when she sees him, the way she freaks out and, and she's like screaming, what are you going to do to me? Take the money or whatever. Yeah, yeah. It all felt quite like a bit of a realist vibe to it. Because he's a nobody, isn't he? And it's not, she doesn't perceive him as... She doesn't perceive him immediately as a serial killer. Even I, the, my perception was that he, she didn't even really see him as a threat because she was kind of she was telling him to go away, but she, it was very like, "Oh, you're a freak." It was a bit yeah, because he's quite a pathetic character, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. you're just one of those sad yeah. rapists. So it was, <laughs> yeah. so it was like it was so blasé about it. She was like, "Oh, just another but she one." She doesn't realise he's going to rape her, does he? He just she actually yeah. thinks. He's just an intruder in the room. He's, he's obviously just, come... He's a junkie. He's got a needle in his mouth. Yeah. He's obviously come to rob me purse. At first, she's quite confident that she'll just get rid of him, isn't she? Yeah. She'll be able to fuck him off. She's like, yeah, take the money and just leave me alone. Yeah. It's fine. But yeah, it's, I thought it was really grim. And then when he when he takes the... Ooh, when he takes the razor blade into awful. her arm. That's mm. so bad. Looks dead real as well. Yeah. Mm. The blood doesn't... The blood's like hammer horror blood, but that doesn't distract from it at all. No. It's still horrible. The way he lets it all splatter all over him and stuff, which is sort of sexual. Um, ben did comment that he thought he might he had nice legs though. When he was naked on top of it, but you know. So we've got we've got a, a boy in his late teens yeah. who's obviously very well practiced at killing. So he's been doing it a long time. He's doing it a long time. He said to himself, "You, I'm what well, I'm. I'm always very careful. I'm yeah. always very careful with the needles." Those that, those are not words you want to hear from someone, are Do they? You think no. That- was like well practiced because I just thought he was so sloppy with everything he did. I felt like he thought he was really prepared, but everything he did just seemed to go wrong. It just always seemed to go a bit awry, didn't it? So I felt like he felt like he was in control of the situation. Well, he, he had, well, well, even the yeah. drugs he used didn't knock people out. No, not well. immediately. He's obviously done it many times before. Just his mm. statement says he's done it many times before. Yeah, and. He's obviously been in trouble in some way because his family are concerned about him. So they've sent him to here. Haven't they've they? sent him on that train journey. Now his family have died. His immediate family yeah. have died, and yeah. he's been sent on the train journey. Yeah. So he. It's his cousin. It's his uncle. They said they said cousin earlier on because I was confused. Was the girl? It's the girl. It's cousin. So he gets off the. So we don't know what Martin is at this point, man. We know he's a killer. Yeah. But we don't know the, what exactly he is. 
there's somebody who who is certain who what uh-huh. Martin is, and that's his great uncle Cuda. Cuda's an old Lithuanian Catholic. He's tall, large, white suited, like the Colonel. Okay, see, white bearded. He's silent. He meets. He's very very abrupt. He meets Martin off the train and strides through the the back streets of. Pittsburgh smoking a cigar. He's stern, antagonistic, controlling. And due to the death of Martin's immediate family in Indianapolis, he's reluctantly agreed to give Martin room and board, sharing a house with him and his cousin Christine. The shots of Pittsburgh, I think, in this bit are really incredible. Pittsburgh is a at the 1970s as a city built on steel yeah. but it's completely and utterly down at its look there's huge stone edifices but they're surrounded by nothing, nothing and it's yeah. it's the, the these sort of monuments to wealth long gone but the the city that Romero presents isn't one of buildings it's one of space yeah, isn't it yeah. it's one of emptiness Derelict, and yeah. dereliction and the spaces yeah. in between yeah. and it's it's almost like he's introducing us to the emptiness of Martin's life, mm. but the emptiness of everybody's life who's in, who's going to be in the film. Yeah. There's nothing fulfilling. So you sort of start with Pittsburgh, don't you? And then, and then they're in, is it Braddock? Is it, is yeah. it Calvert? They're in the little town yeah. on the outskirts. And that's even more like, depressing, mm. isn't it? Would this have been when they had like all the fuel rationing and stuff in the 70s? Probably, yeah. Possibly, yeah. Because you get a bit of Superman, you get a bit of that Superman, don't you? Yeah. Because you can imagine that, you can imagine the shots of Braddock, you can imagine it being, but the whole, the whole tone of this film is sort of grey, is almost sort of grey skies or white skies, there's no real sunshine. Mm. You can imagine Braddock being in a, in a, in a sunshiny film, but it'd be like Happy Days, it'd be the, the 1950s, yeah. bright, technicolour. Yeah, sunshine's gone. Sunshine's basically. gone, everything's yeah. well prepared, there's shiny yeah. cars yeah. everywhere. This Braddock is no longer no. that time. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of a trauma film, actually, a little bit, the way the way you shoot New Jersey, New York, in a trauma film, it had that sort of vibe to it, I thought. Is that, is that a budget thing, do you think? Yeah, I think so. So the, the house was actually the sound guy's house. <laughs> That's the house that they filled in. And most of the people who were in the film were unknown. So they were like mates yeah. of people who were um, on the crew. And... Well, that's the George Romero yeah. thing. Yeah. Well, he's in it, isn't he? George Romero's yeah. in it and Tom Savini's in it. Yeah. 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 You know, like, thinking that um, if it was like a different director and it was made like 10 years later, that it would have been Johnny Depp playing Martin. <laughs> like completely, it felt like his kind of as being artistic and different kind of role yeah. and pensive but it would have been a lot more staring off into the middle distance yeah that's true it's part of what I like about the person they've got to play Martin is he isn't really that good looking Johnny Depp would have been a bit too good looking but yeah. he could have played he obviously could have played geeky yeah. and awkward you know Edward Scissorhands he managed a very cartoon version of that didn't he yeah. but Martin isn't really that good looking he plays geeky awkward yeah one review suggests that he's neurodivergent, which is a What's PC way of saying, has he got Asperger's or autism? <laughs> <laughs> and I can understand, but you can understand yeah. that from the, sort of how he communicates with people because he's very socially awkward. Mm. He barely speaks at the beginning, does yeah. he? Does doesn't someone say, can you speak? Or so yeah. I've heard you want to Yeah. Yeah. Cue does very, very confrontational, isn't he? So 
the house is like a semi-suburb American clapboard house. Yeah. And inside it's white and pristine, as white as, as cute as suit. It's filled with lots of religious iconography. And Cuda makes his opinion of Martin abundantly clear. <laughs> Nosferatu, vampire, first I will save your soul, then I will destroy you. <laughs> Which are the words we all want to hear from a close family member. When being welcome to stay <laughs> there. <laughs> yeah, take your shoes off on the way in. If you yeah. don't, I'll fucking destroy you. I'll destroy you. I'll destroy you. <laughs> I love all the garlic hanging on the doors as well. Because mm. he really, really believes he's of that old Eastern European... Mm religious zealotry background he yeah. really really believes in that folklore yeah um, <laughs> it's interesting though because one of the very first things that happened is does Martin he, he grabs the cross and sticks it on his own face and then he he starts eating the garlic and yeah. stuff as if to prove it to him and not yeah nobody spits out he does <laughs> it's one of the first things he actually yeah. it's one of the first things he says after the after the first murder is mm. it isn't magic yeah there's no mm. real magic yeah yeah, and that's something that he's const- that's something he constantly comes back to mm. is that this isn't it's not magic this isn't a Hollywood film mm. you can't you, you can't control me yeah. like that so he puts all sorts of restrictions on him doesn't he he says yeah you can come and go you're going to work in my sh- shop Christina cousin of somebody is yeah. anywhere is living here I've told her she can't speak to you she will she but you're not to speak, speak to her, to her. yeah yeah <laughs> um <laughs> And Christine's a lovely... So not long after we get introduced to Christine, don't we? She's like... A, she's a very kind, compassionate like woman. Christine, yeah. Yeah. She's very she's different to Cuda. So I don't know if she's his daughter or something like... Or a, his granddaughter. I think so. He's his granddaughter. Yeah. Because I don't know all those busy, busybody women who were fussing around the shop. Yeah, yeah. Like, don't, don't leave him alone with your granddaughter. Yeah. 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 I yeah. love those women. That's yeah, brilliant. And she... While Cuda is lives in the old world, still lives in the old world of Eastern European. She's very much of the modern yeah. day. Yeah. She's introducing a telephone to the house. Yes. <laughs> Who would believe it, listeners? A phone, a, te- a home without a telephone. And this was a thing in the 70s a moment, and the 80s. And there's a moment <laughs> in the film where he says, I want you to get me a phone. Yeah. And I, 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 it was just a mobile phone in my head when he was saying, I want you to get me a phone. No, it's a landline to the house. So he wants a phone. He must mean a landline. Yeah. That's what she's getting for the house yeah. is a landline. Yeah. So are you all too young to remember houses without phones? People who would knock around to use your phone because <laughs> they didn't have one? Possibly, yeah. I always remember having one. Yeah, I always remember having a phone. I've never just about, I think. So yeah. even when I was, a, so when you were, yeah, when you were small, <laughs> when you two were small, yeah. I was a teenager. <laughs> <laughs> still small. You were staggering across the street, and I was stuck in for a small child with pink hair. Anyway. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I feel very attacked right now. <laughs> Um, I did for me shopping before as well. I wasn't even allowed to get me a card or shopping. Yes, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not bougie. <laughs> yes, not everybody had phones. So even when I was a teenager, there was people who didn't have a phone yeah. in the house and they'd knock around to the neighbours <laughs> saying, can I, use your, can I use your phone? Or you'd use phone boxes. I remember, remember, when was the last time you used a phone box? Yeah, yeah, I remember using phone <laughs> boxes. Not maybe talk a person, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> not to use a phone. <laughs> Don't think I've ever used a phone box for real. You should try it for a while. You should try it. I don't think any of them work now. 
There's one. They, they do because they, they do because the homeless and the junkies are still checking them for change. <laughs> oh yeah. That must be a futile task in this day and age, <laughs> whether they are still checking for change in town. So, um, so yeah, Christine's a woman of the, the modern world. She's introducing a phone to the house, yeah. and Martin tries to make friends with her, um, with a mini, mini guillotine yes. magic trick. The, the guillotine at the chopping, table? chopping vegetables with it, yeah, and then asking her to put, yeah. Then asking her to put a finger finger in it, I think she reacts very well to that because I, I would have been horrified. Yeah, yeah, she did react really well. Again, the reactions came across like real reactions from people. Mm. But he used it's interesting because Martin uses that to make his point again, saying there's no magic. Yeah. Mm, that's true. There is no magic. There's no yeah. real magic ever. Yeah, that's very true. Isn't Tom Savini a boyfriend? Arthur. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Not long after that, and he's sort of quite—he seems quite opinionated as a character, doesn't mm. he? But he's obviously very neglectful of Christine. He's constantly standing her up and yeah. leaving her hanging around for him. Yeah, she's mm. bloody sick of it, isn't she? She is. So Martin starts working Cuter's shop, making deliveries to local housewives. <laughs> oh yes, <laughs> Mrs. Santini. Yeah, Mrs. Santini. And a variety of others, and he's very, he's sort of, it's it's strange, because there's a whole range of reactions to Martin, isn't there, from mm. them, to curiosity, to benevolence, yeah. to obviously Mrs. Santini goes even further than that. Yes. But he's quite detached. Yeah. And you think, he's weighing them up, he's weighing them up, mm. whether they are possible prey yes. or not, isn't he? Possible food. Yeah. But, um, yeah. And I think that that says a lot about him, doesn't it? Because he's still, even though he's got like you know women being delivered to him on a platter, he still can't react in any way. That's that's anything other than a bit of um like that sort of distant, slightly kind of removed, just that inability to interact with people. Yeah. Even when he's excited about something. So even when he sees, is it Mr. Santini sees with the wraparound, put the wraparound skirt on? But she's got the tiny she's little got, um. She's got short shorts short, on. Short yeah. On. yeah. And he can't, and he can't, you see him get completely, he's confused by mm. the emotions that yeah. that, that um, stimulates in him. You yeah. can see that sort of, the sexy stuff, the sexy stuff oh, yeah. is completely confused into him altogether. Yeah. I enjoyed uh, the way she acted when she opened the door to him and the way she was dressed. And I thought, if I was a bored, lonely housewife, I would probably always answer the door like that. Okay, she was yeah. dick on offer. Do you like a line? Do you remind me of a cat I used to have? Yes. Yes. Like cat. An old daddy cat. <laughs> <laughs> but it makes sense. Mm. He, he is kind of that aloof. Sympathy. It's, it like, feels awful. Yeah. Just yeah. listens, looks at you like they understand you, but mm. like doesn't really take anything. Yeah. In. Makes sense. He listened and listened. He never said anything either. <laughs> never talked back. You know when they're in the car and she asked them to get a notebook out of the glove compartment? Is there a dildo in the glove compartment? I couldn't tell. I was trying to see what it was, but I couldn't tell. There was just all kinds of rubbish in there. There's something it? in there that looked like a dildo. And I was thinking, am I just reading into this because she's like a lonely old housewife? Not old, lonely housewife. Or... Everything's a dildo if you know what to sit on it. Most of the episodes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I thought it was a dildo anyway. <laughs> 
That did make me laugh the way she said he like a cat. I thought, God, you know, it's a chat up the boys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you chased him away though, didn't it? It didn't. You've distracted me with that. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 taken me, <laughs> and taken me to another podcast where they were talking about using a bottle as a dildo. Never use an open-ended bottle as yes. a dildo yeah. when you're in prison because they have to drill. It's very hard to drill a hole on the other end of the bottle when you're in prison to release the vacuum to get it out. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. It gets trapped, yeah. Yeah. So you not know. everything you can sit on is a dildo, Stephen. What podcast was that? With the right preparation. <laughs> I think it might have been my favourite nerd. <laughs> okay. I think it might have been. A, I think it might have been one of their minisodes of the please not yeah. missing a mail. Wow. Um. Sorry, can I just mention as well, Mrs. Santini, Eliana Nadeau, who plays her, only credited for this film. She never made another movie. And she's a good actress. She's actually, she played a really, really good part. I thought yeah. she's like as that bored housewife, and she's you. Know, she's depressed, isn't she? She's lonely. Yeah. Her husband's neglecting her. Yeah. He's obviously very controlling as well, a bit like Cuda, but maybe in a different way. She has to note that notebook is to yeah. note down Every the summer. mileage and the petrol. Yeah, I've been in that situation. Oh, right. We had to do yeah. that at home. Yeah. <laughs> at home with the family car. Write down every mile that you drove, one wow. the the petrol that was put in. Maybe maybe she wasn't acting. Maybe that was maybe that was maybe that was a real car, and she maybe yeah. had to do that. Yeah. Or maybe she was just a old housewife in real life. Just one of her mates who told me mates making a film. Do you want to be in it? Maybe. Yeah, what have I got to do? There's a scene towards the end of the film which wasn't intended, mm. which they just have they the. Towards the end of the film, and there's a parade that wasn't meant to happen. They mm. just came upon that by mistake. And just, <laughs> and just included it anyway. <laughs> so maybe she was a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> so just there's just an endless round, isn't yeah. there, of him to deliver, doing deliveries to, yeah. to housewives, getting a variety of reactions from them. Doesn't he pretend to be deaf? He, he does. Then he turns up at one after he's sort of had a bit of that, he turns up at one at night to pretend to be deaf with a note. Is it like I am deaf? Please help. help. Yeah. Yeah. You can tell it's the seventies because their reaction is they're not they're not surprised by this in yeah. any way. They just look to give him money. Yeah, is that like <laughs> the a normal thing that probably spread. would have happened? Like, but unfortunate knocks at your door. I think people's attitudes to, and thoughts around people being deaf would have it wouldn't have surprised them because they just yeah. thought of thought of them as being poor and fortunate. Unfortunate, yeah. Mm. Um, <clears throat> and so they would have yeah they would that's. That's how they would have reacted. Yeah. Um, but he's doing that to try and scope that that yeah. house out, isn't he? He's stalking, isn't he? He's a, he's a he's an expert stalker. Yeah. Absolutely. That, that's the house he goes back to in even, isn't it? It is, because he he watches that house and thinks that that woman is alone. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So he ends up going going back. He observes that house for quite a while, doesn't mm-hmm. he? So he goes he goes to the shops and gets. Uh, he observes that the. Garage door is a remote control garage door. He does, yeah. And he gets a remote control radio so he can yeah. open the garage yeah. door. Because he, fa- he, fa- he first sees him in the supermarket, doesn't he? Yeah. Mm. And then and he, he follows, follows her home. To, and he's stuck by the ice cream van. There's yeah. like an ice cream van across the street from it. Yeah. And there's, is this the point where there's all the the um, the black lads hanging out at the the door of the supermarket? Yeah. And they're obviously, yeah, they're obviously, there's no work in that. Mm. In that town, yeah, and they're just bored and they're 
harassing the house buyers as they're coming out, but they're also sort of trying to earn a bit of money to sort yeah. of help them lend the car and all, yeah. of, all of that. Yeah. You can see the white house buyers looking very disapproving at these young black lads who are doing nothing wrong with yeah. So yes, he breaks into the house because he thinks that that woman is is alone and breaks into her house only to discover him in bed <laughs> with her lover, <laughs> much to the both of them, and then he surprises them both. So she's alarmed and leaps off the bed, but the fellow assumes that he's Martin is related to the woman and starts to try to placate him, doesn't he? Yeah. Saying, oh, you know, let's not get, get out of hand. It's only then that the woman says, I don't know him. <laughs> yeah, that's a great line. <laughs> and Martin runs. Now, all through this, it's into, it, Martin goes back into sort of a fantasy, doesn't he? So he has these sort of... We go from a colour film to these moments where... They're black and white shots and they're very, very stylized. They're sort of stylized versions of the 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 situation that he's yeah. in. <clears throat> Where the women who in real life are terrified in in the fantasies they're usually like a romantic more romantic skew on it all, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. It's like a Mills and Boone. Yeah. <coughs> well that's that's from like the, the like the gothic yeah. tales of the vampire generally. Exactly. Isn't it? Yeah. yeah. He, so yeah, I couldn't work out what it was. I couldn't work out whether this was him in his head and this is what he's fantasising about or if it's kind of like his memories. Memories, because... Because is he 17 years old or is he 84 years, years old? old? I think it is just meant to be a bit of rope, isn't it? Like, yeah. you, you know, you're meant to decide whether you think it's this memories. Yeah. But I took it as it being what he was imagining was yeah. actually happening. Yeah. And this is his romanticisation. That's why I think when he's saying that he's always so careful and thought out but he's not really. I think in his head, he is, and he sees this romanticised version oh, right, of yeah, what's yeah. happening. But, but what is the reality, actually? The flip side of that is, why is Cuder so convinced mm. that Martin is a vampire and that there's a, and there's a problem in the family? Well, because... Like, he's he's convinced like... there's a problem. <laughs> he's convinced... I mean, we know who the real problem... Well, who the, an equal part of the problem is in that family, yeah. which we'll come to. But there's obviously a, there's a wider problem in that family. Well, I think that's nature and nurture, isn't it? And I think that's what one of the big debates for the entire film was that was he this monster because he was born this monster or is he made this monster by his family telling him that he is this vampire creature yeah. at night? Treating him like a, a, an imbecile. Hasn't, hasn't Kuzer got a family album of vampiric yeah. relatives? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Slightly <laughs> <laughs> like, what the hell? Fucking brilliant. That made me really laugh, the stuff with the, with the family albums. And, like, Christina's like, Dad, you're, uh, Granddad, you're crazy. You know, she's trying to, like, get she's, to uh, she's She's just dismayed by the whole thing and discourages isn't she? Because she just... She's... she's <coughs> She's challenging him about his attempts to control yeah. Martin. And what she sees is a gawky 17-year-old lad who can't speak while there's... Uh, Millions of those around, yeah. Um, and it, you know, is you hear know, hear and Martin Bond over their disbelief in the magic, whether it's yeah. that that wider magic or it's this folklore from Eastern Europe yeah. around vampirism and the the religious yeah. nature of the whole thing. That's their bond and point is that they sympathise with each other around that her as a daughter wants to get away from it. And, and the tragic irony of it is if Kuzo was right and there was some sort of magic involved, their lives would be a lot more fucking interesting mm. than they are. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't yeah, be in a dreary, a dreary satellite town of yeah, Pittsburgh. Exactly. See, I, I, in a weird way, I thought that possibly 
those flashbacks and stuff, they are almost for the audience as well. It's kind of saying, this is your kind of, you know, you look at that and that is like the 30s Universal and you yeah. know, that is like those gothic romantic vampire stories. But it's almost saying as if, if vampires were real, they'd be like this. They <laughs> yeah, they absolutely. Wouldn't, they wouldn't be these, you know, fancy fancy yeah. people living in gothic castles. Yeah. You know, it would yeah. be fucking nerdy guys just murdering tramps and stuff. Yeah, yeah. The reality isn't erotic yeah, in any way, it. and that's yeah. how it's painted in yeah. those yeah. universal films or in the, even in the hot view, the horror, the uh-huh. Hammer films yeah. in the sixties. It there's a, an eroticism to it, yeah. you know, and it's very clean. Whereas actually Romero's saying this is this is the fantasy in his head. The this is your fantasy. Is, yeah. There is no magic. Yeah. It's grim. Yeah, <laughs> it's grim. The reality is nerdy, uh, you know, unusual man drugging and raping women yeah. and drinking their blood. Yeah. You I know, think that's... maybe that that could be what it is. It's almost for the audience, you know what I mean, to say this is your fantasized image of vampires and this is Hollywood's image of vampires yeah. and this is his own but this is what I'm showing you is actually the reality of what it would be like. Yeah. yeah. But, um, <laughs> I think I don't get it as Romero wanted it all to be black and white, didn't he? So he did. Yeah. If it was all black and white, yeah, then yeah. I don't think those scenes would have worked in the same way. What I think, I had to think about that, and I think he, part of the reason why he wanted it to all be black and white, he wanted those transitions to be more ambiguous. Oh, yeah, yeah. So it would be a bit more of a challenge for the, for, the, for the audience to figure out what was real and what wasn't yeah i like that he sets out to make a challenging film mm. he didn't want to make an easy film did he make, he wants to make like something that's a bit like gray a bit a bit yeah with the lines that are a bit blurred i think he wanted to make a. I think he i so i watched this film twice in preparation podcast my first and second time ever seeing this film yeah and i'll explain a bit later about how i made this choice <laughs> Is it because um, it's called Martin? Yeah. <laughs> it is because it's called Martin. There's another reason. There is another reason. It's not just solely about my ego. Not this time. Um, it's always about my ego. <laughs> it's always about your ego. Yes. Um, what was I going to say? Um, I think he wanted you. He he wanted to make a film that he wasn't making entertainment. Mm. He wanted to make something. That, that makes the audience question itself and I think yeah. a lot of his films do that don't they actually yeah, you, know, yeah. you he's got a message he's got a message you he's mm. he's reflecting something back to his audience so you Night of the Living Dead yeah. there's something there around you civil rights civil rights <laughs> and difference yeah. in, in Day of the Dead there's something there about the, the mindlessness of consumerism and shopping and shopping malls isn't there mm. Dawn of the Dead Dawn of the Dead, sorry. <clears throat> yeah. So he never gives you a straightforward, yeah. entertaining schlock yeah. horror. Yeah. He's got something more more to say. Totally. But back at that housewives house, there's a there's a, a chase around the house, isn't there? And it's intermittent. The shots intermittently of him going through the endless corridors of this very luxurious yes. house. But it becomes even more luxurious in his head. Yeah. And attacking the woman and the fella trying to trying to find them. They almost lose each other. Mm. But he manages to dupe the man into coming back into the house and attacks the man. Yeah. Because he's already drugged him once. He stabs him once, doesn't yeah. he? 
But it's just, just taken not that long. Yeah. To, to the man work. stumbles around the house. It does take a bit of a time to affect where he, he becomes more and more unsteady. Yeah. And he eventually feeds on the man. Yeah. Oh yeah, you get that when he stabs him in the neck. Yeah. Like, yeah. Is, it, like is a, it a twig or something? Or, or, a, or a steak of some sort or a small like peg. Goes right through his neck. And yeah. That's that's a real Tom Savini trick, yeah. isn't it? It reminds me of um, Fred's in the 13th. Just before that, he said to the he's revealed to the woman. He said, "I've come. I came for you." I came for you. Yeah. After he feeds us on the man, he runs back because he did go for her. Yeah. Sorry, I was just going to say that I, I do love that once again we're back to the, um, the use of the phones and the fact that the brand new technology because it's fucking ages they couldn't think it out. Oh yeah, they're trying to phone a hospital. They're like trying to phone, you put it down or you put yeah. it down. And like, anyways, <laughs> is there another phone in the house? <gasps> in the game room. <laughs> <laughs> Because he's trying to phone the police, and then he's like, "Oh, don't phone the police because you know, obviously you were really with me." So don't phone the police. Like, okay, just phone the hospital. It's like, yeah, what's the number? What's the number? <laughs> what does that rec number for the hospital? I'm like, I. That it yeah. is. It is quite comical. Yeah. And she goes, "Oh, I don't remember." Like, you're just gonna fucking know the number yeah. to your local hospital. And Martin's pressing the buttons on the other phone as well, well she needs to like just disrupt the yeah. disrupt the call. And she's putting it down with the fuck. But just <laughs> 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 it's very. It's a strangely comical. Um, comical moment. So alongside all this, Martin he stays up all night, doesn't he? He's like you. Know, he's lurking in the shadows, stalking all these housewives, observing what's going on. But in the lonely hours, he uses this the phone that's oh, been yeah. installed in the house mm-hmm. to phone the um, the radio disc jockey yeah. who does a radio show. From five o'clock in the evening to six o'clock in the morning. Wow. There's some long hours. There's some long hours. So Martin's using him as his like confessor, isn't he? Yeah, and he's tra- and also trying to sort of figure stuff out about the world because he obviously just doesn't understand people yeah. and how they work and how to connect with them. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he and he's sort of and particularly and particularly women. So he's almost seeking advice from the DJ about um, the women. Yeah. And he becomes an inadvertent hit on the radio mm. station. Lots of people start to really enjoy him calling in and talking about the, the ways of vampires. And the disc jockey starts to call him the Count. The Count. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, the Count. Um, so Mark spends lots of time trying to set the record straight about vampires, continuing yeah. his manifesto of there is no magic stuff. Um, it just made me think of Twilight. Like in the way in um, this, he talks about oh, does the sun can you not go out in the sunlight? And he's like, oh, the sun hurts my eyes, but like in Twilight, they turn to diamonds. <laughs> it was just like, this film is a precursor, <laughs> and he's this kind of cute, awkward teenager. <laughs> she, ripped, yeah. she ripped it off, she ripped this off, yeah. Um, but Martin's, Martin is always disconnected from reality, he's never quite yeah. sure what's going on, so he doesn't catch on that. The DJ is sort of exploiting him mm, yeah. and mocking him and yeah. taking the piss out of him, but but you know, keeping him on the line for hours and hours at the time. Phones, he, doesn't he phone him back at one point when he's yeah. off the air and says, "Oh, we love it. It's great. Keep keep calling." Yeah, him. keep giving giving us this 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 stuff. Yeah, but I think he realised. I think the DJ realised this isn't this isn't an act. Mm. This is. There's something more here, but it's a bit ridiculous. But Martin goes into quite some deep things. You know, as much as he's disconnected, doesn't know how to connect with people. He, looking at people through the eyes of a predator, he sees 
how stupid people are yeah. and how mindless they are and how heartless they are. And that's a lot of his complaints about the world and, yeah. and people. I like his take on intimacy and, and the lack of intimacy because yeah. he says, like, he sees people in the streets who talk to each other but they never say what they mean. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And I feel like it's quite an interesting... It's an interesting viewpoint and a good one for horror film as well mm. because it's the outsider looking in, isn't it? Yeah. It's the someone who's slightly alien and their view of humanity. And sometimes when someone's that different and has got, like, a... Is that far removed? They've got quite a clear view mm. yeah. of of what's going on, really, and the sort of the take on small town, and the take on intimacy, and and how miserable everyone is, mm. and all that sort of stuff. It's 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 quite a clear view of the story. Yeah. If you know what I mean. And I think with um, you have the kind of discussion that everybody needs to talk to someone about mm. the problems, like he's talking to this radio host the way the housewife was talking to the cat and talking to him. It's just sometimes you need someone to listen to. So I think there's a lot about just mental health in general. Yeah. Relations so. that it kind of explores. Or just being human. Because yeah. if he was a vampire, he wouldn't be human. And as humans, we all need to be understood. Yeah. Whether we have problems or not, we need people. Yeah. We will soon have yeah. problems once we're not understood. So we also stop. Yeah, he talks about sex and his sexual desire, doesn't he? And he talks about sexy stuff. And that's when the sexy DJ stuff. starts to sort of take the piss out of him. As like a, an innocent teenager who obviously hasn't got his leg over in the back of a car, yeah. At the, yeah, at the end of the prom, um, he's yeah he's taking the piss out of him. But he Martin goes quite deep into talking about wanting that connection. Yeah, yeah, he wants the connection of he wants the sexy stuff without the blood. Yeah, and in consciousness, <laughs> and yeah. in consciousness. He says, "I've always been too much too shy to do the sexy stuff." Well, no, not all that awake anyway. Yeah. And he goes into startling detail yeah. on the radio about how he sub- subdues his victims. You, yeah. yeah. nobody thinks we should we, trace this. We call. should trace this call, <laughs> yeah. and we can trace this call. Yeah, um, nobody thinks that. It just they just yeah. carry on with their mind, just nattering on the radio. Yeah. So eventually, Martin gives in to what he calls the sexy stuff, mm-hmm. and ends up having a full fledged. Affair with Mrs. Santini. He does, yes. Whilst he's doesn't. doing odd jobs around the house. Scene. Doesn't he just walk in and say, Oh, what is it he says? He's, it's like I'm ready now or something. Yeah. yeah. And then the very next scene, is, she's just like on top of him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. But as he, with his involvement with Mrs. Santini, he sort of loses interest in the other women in the town mm. and, and women in general. It's just. His connection with Mrs. Santini. So the fact that he's got some real intimacy in his life means he can stop killing people. Yeah. That's all you need. That's all you need. Oh, that's it. <laughs> intimacy will stop you from murdering him. Don't man. murder. Yes. Just fuck the local housewife. Just, yeah, find a, find a, a lonely housewife. Find husband. a lonely housewife, stab her secret lover in the throat so he's out the way. Yeah. Oh, that's a different housewife, isn't it? It's a different housewife. <laughs> but still, stop It's very confused. <laughs> just the love anyway. It yeah. is very confusing. Yeah. yeah. It is very confusing. It's a small town, everyone's having affairs. Yes. So later at dinner, they, later at the house, there's, they're having dinner, aren't they? And they invite um, <laughs> a new priest. And this is actually George A. Rivera who's playing the priest, Father, Father Howard. Father Howard, yeah, that's great. Um, so it's cued at Martin, Christine. Arthur, the boyfriend, and the, and the priest. And Q does sort of give him the priest a bit of a grilling yeah. about the, the previous <laughs> one. And he yeah. dis- disapproves because he was quite young. But <laughs> yeah. he left. He left <laughs> and retired. Why did he retire? And Father Howard said, 
No, he didn't retire. He had cancer. He might be dead now, actually. Yeah, he might be dead now. I haven't checked. He wasn't, he wasn't very well last time I checked or something. Hugh's just such a dickhead. He's not phased by that. He just carries on with the thing. But you see Martin smile at Hugh's stupid yeah. mistake. Mm. Um, I like Cruz's line about... Um, we're all old around here, and you know what? Old people want they just want you to, yeah, it's like agree with them, agree, yeah. yeah. And I was just like, that's so true, yeah. <laughs> like, I feel like we're living it right now in our country, yeah. <laughs> it's not just old people, there is it in this, in this, people just, so just to people told. just, just want people don't want to be disagreed with, yeah. I don't want to be disagreed with, no. There is a great yeah. film about the exorcist. So he's asking him about he's asks Father Howard if he believes in demons and if the devil can enter a person's soul. Um I love Father Howard when he laughs in response. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Again, so realistic. So Q just sort of questions how people can expect to be saved by their priests if the priests don't involve in that sort of thing. So is Father Howard responds saying, oh, you need to talk to Father Zulimos. He d- he's been involved in that. He saw the exorcist and said it was all wrong. <laughs> yeah. It's the, yeah, it's the other comic mode yeah. of the of the um well, it's, it's another comic mode. There's but another really one about good. to happen actually. It's really good because it puts the film into the real world again. Mm. Yeah. yeah. It, the film is always it is always in the real world, yeah. isn't it? And the, it's interesting that they um they're serving wine with the meal. And Father Howard says, is enjoying the enjoying the wine and says, I'm sure it's not heresy when I say mm. the, the wine at St. Matthew's, whatever the name of the church is, is putrid. Yeah. They think, that's because it's blood. It's the blood of Christ. He's a Catholic priest. <laughs> but I'm sure that's on purpose because yeah. of the blood and body, the transubstantiation. Um, but it's a nice little... It's a nice little point in the film yeah. I think I enjoyed that a nice Catholic joke a nice <laughs> Catholic joke because <laughs> I thought of this, this crucifix he's wearing is an orthodox one isn't it it's an orthodox cross he's wearing oh is it a cross it, with a it, with it's a line it's got the line at the bottom so if it's, it, if it's properly Eastern European it would yeah. be orthodox wouldn't it yeah it would it would so Cusus Runs with this mm-hmm. and gets fathers leavers round of the house yeah. <laughs> yeah. with possibly a gang of other people to exercise Martin. <laughs> this pushes Martin into another yet another fantasy of being pursued by an angry mob with torches and holy water and crucifixes <laughs> and stakes. Um, and Martin ends up running off and Cuda pursues and pursues them into a foggy dark oh, neighborhood right. park and this yeah. is another humorous moment actually yeah. i think he um Cuda is absolutely terrified he bumps into um martin and finds martin dressed in a cloak <laughs> with half fangs <laughs> and white makeup <laughs> and at first i just found myself questioning myself saying actually are we, are we back in the fantasy <laughs> yeah. or is this the real world but it turns out it's the real world this is one of those things where I turn my head for a second and then when I turn back I was like what's going on where did he get this from yeah. so Cuda calls him the devil and hits him with his walking stick and wields his yeah. rosary and he's terrified of him but Martin said it's a costume yeah. Yeah. it's just a costume he takes the cape off he takes his cape off yeah. and takes the, the, the fangs out the, um, the fake fangs that he's got in reminds me of the ones I used to get when I was a kid the, the, yeah. the dark ones that were too big for your mouth yeah. and it had fangs on the top and the bottom mm. 
Yeah. I love how he delivers that line of saying it's just a costume, it's just a costume, and he does it in that, you know, like in a in a weary way that only an adolescent can Yeah. In a way that only an adolescent can deliver it. It's like a weariness and um and a ridicule almost at the same time. It's really it's really it's really good. It's jumping around Dracula acting with a really good It's hilarious. Like, it's so fu- it's comforting stuff funny. The way it's shot with like the fog. There's yeah. like loads of fog, so he's walking through slowly and he gets to the he gets like the little swings yeah. in the back yeah. doesn't he? And then all the fog moves in and then you just see him. Do you see Martin like moving through the yeah. fog in the costume? So like, oh what's going on here? And I think that's Romero teasing us really, yeah, isn't yeah, it? Because it's like he's thinking like, like you think you're gonna you're I'm gonna give you what you want. What you want. That yeah. hammer horror moment. Yeah. And actually, I'm just taking the piss out. I'm taking yeah. the piss out of cues. I'm taking the piss out of you. Yeah. There's a few things that happen now. We have Christine getting completely frustrated with the disagreements with with Cuda after he has a conversation with her um, boyfriend yeah. about how they should remain childless and yeah. saying that, that Martin's a vampire and there's vampires <laughs> right through their history. Um, and she, yeah, she has a huge argument with him and says there is madness in this family. And she's she's implying that the madness isn't in Martin, it's in Cuda. Yeah, yeah. Um, so she leaves leaves promising Martin that she'll write to him. So Martin here is is left alone. He seeks solace with Mrs. Santini, who's becoming more and more depressed, and she's pleasing with him. Not, I don't, you don't know whether she knows he's a vampire, whether he's done things, what what's up with him, but she's almost pleading with him. To solve her they have a conversation depression. about kids, don't they? Yeah. She yeah. says she can't have them. Yeah, she yeah. says she can't have kids. She's got something wrong inside. And then he asks, is, is this good or bad? You know, mm. Do you think this is a good thing or a bad thing? As yeah. in, like, sh- should I be, a, you know, should I be a person to have kids? Is that... Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, like, she just doesn't know what her, what her purpose mm. in life is. She's not a mother. Her husband's away she's having an affair with a 17 year old she just feels like she's completely lost it's very it's really sad it is sad. it's, really it's a really sad. sad moment i mean the whole film is about that loneliness isn't mm. it the whole film is about martin's loneliness um mr santini's loneliness mm. and the loneliness of being in a small town with no prospects nothing going for you it's 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 such a downbeat slice of small town american life yeah, yeah I the think... person who gets away is the cousin mm. and I like the fact that she turns around and says when she's running away I'm not running away with him we probably won't end up together I, he's just my escape yeah. yes absolutely yeah. Yeah. and she knows that that's yeah. like, so good that she knows that Like that's a yeah. good character moment because yeah. it's like yeah I'm doing something that would normally be considered wrong, young and reckless but I'm doing it because I just need to get out of well, yeah. she's just got that she's just got that certainty of self-respect and yeah. self-preservation mm-hmm. isn't she she just she knows what she needs to do it also talks about the film also talks about the struggle between the old ways and the new ways mm-hmm. doesn't it mm-hmm. so the it, like who did actually says it doesn't he yeah. it says it boldly to the priest about old people and mm. what they believe and all that and um there's a uh, stuff where um it's a, it, there's, there's a lot in it about young people wanting to break away and do something better for themselves it's a great line when Martin says people always go away to forget where they were mm-hmm. yeah I think that's a really good line as well this is where the, one of those parts of the film where there's all sorts of things really that go go on it becomes a bit vague but he's having a conversation with the DJ again going over the same sort of things that he always goes over but also he he's 
it's intercut with interactions with with other people in the town. So he stalks her. There's a woman who's abusive to him in the sh- in the shop, and mm. he stalks her. And whilst he's we're seeing that he's talking to the DJ of a night, saying, you know, you know, I, I let them go. I let you. Know, I don't know who to to pick. But I let people go. I even the ones who are mean to me, I let them go. And mm. he's sort of making a plea for his own goodness and his own sensitivity. Yeah, yeah. And his own moral sort of base. Mm, the one who was horrible and shouting at him. Yeah. yeah. And she was the prude at the beginning who was like, Oh, you can't have a boy coming into the um, household even yeah. if related. And even cute, I didn't agree with that yeah. and said, Yeah, it's what's on your mind that's actually yeah. is it's, yeah. it's your man that's dirty, not what that's actually so is happening. So I wouldn't have minded if she had the but I get the point. <laughs> so he starts to say, I shouldn't do it when I'm getting shaky because I might make a mistake and get caught. And at that point, um, he gives in to feeling shaky and goes into the city and ends up attacking two homeless yeah. guys, doesn't yeah. he? And it all becomes a bit strange then in the film, so he, he he targets two homeless guys, and um, then breaks into a charity shop to change his clothes. That's doesn't right, he? Yeah, this is all becomes a bit strange. Yeah. This this bit, and the police attend because he's broken into a shop and chase him, and he ends up be, going through the derelict bits of mm. Pittsburgh and go comes across drug dealers yeah, and like jive dog talking drug dealers <laughs> obviously because <laughs> it's 1970s yeah. I feel like his, his suit's great his suit is great <laughs> <laughs> um, and somebody gets ends up getting shot by mistake by the by the police I'm not really sure of the point of that no. whole scene it could have just ended with him attacking the homeless guys that would have been enough really I think. The maybe they felt it just needed a bit of a chase and a bit of action yeah it needs a bit of maybe. action the costume he's wearing it, he like dresses up it's like a, a costume shop or something isn't it mm. almost he's like puts a soldier's costume on it's yeah, like, yeah. it was bizarre some sort of thrift store yeah. isn't it doesn't he see he goes back to Miss Antini's at some point around here, doesn't he? Aww. He does. So just before then, he's sort of complaining to the DJ that he hasn't heard from Christine, that she has forgotten. And he goes back to Mrs. Santini and finds that she's she's succumbed to a depression and a despair and she's committed suicide, yeah. slashing yeah. her wrists, in the her own wrists yeah. in the bath. Very sad. That's an interesting point about that, though, isn't it? Well... Uh, well, when what happens at the end? Kuza says, "I told you if you t- attacked anyone in this town, what I'd do to you." Yeah, that was the only person he didn't kill. Yeah, <laughs> she actually oh, killed yeah, herself. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I see. But just after that, he's talking to the DJ and he says, "I shouldn't even have friends, even not even for the sexy stuff." <laughs> and Martin, one of the last things he he said, Martin says, is to the DJ, and he demonstrates a, a sort of wisdom that he has that Cuda doesn't. He says, in real life, you can't get people to, to do what you need them to do. Mm. Mm. Um, That's a sad statement, but a true one. It's a true one. One we should all learn. We come to the end then, don't we? Because we have Cuda saying, I don't believe that Mrs. Santini killed herself. I believe you're the one. Well, Martin's relaxing in bed and, and stabs him with a stake, with blood spurting all over the place. Kills him. Kills him. I, 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 I shouted, fucking hell, at the telly when that happened. Your soul is damned, Nosferatu, is Cuda's final words. And it's interesting because there's that stuff around control and getting people to do what you need yeah. them to do. And 
Cuda's attempts to control Mort and leave lead to it's a killing that's more brutal actually than any of the ones mm. that Martin's committed. Mm. I mean they are Martin's are brutal. Yeah. But you know, he's attempting to in a strange, perverted way, try to connect and be intimate with people. Whereas Cuda is completely unfeeling. Mm-hmm. There's no emotion, no yeah. remorse. He isn't trying to stop him. He isn't injecting him with anything to to um, prevent him feeling any pain. Mm. He just stabs him. He waits for him to wake up and then stabs him through the heart. Because um, he feels like he's just morally right, isn't he? Yeah. He's the one that yeah. I am doing God's work kind of thing. So an interesting film, and I think you. Yeah, I think Romero was was inspired by the monsters from literature, things like Frankenstein and Dracula and I Am Legend. And I think he says it was his favourite film that he made. Mm. He always said it was his favourite film. Of all his films? Of all his films. Mm-hmm. And his thing was he said that supernatural monsters are a part of a literary tradition that are, in essence, expurgations of ourselves. He was saying that the, the parts of ourselves we don't like they were trying to get rid of. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we create these stories to try and exercise the beasts from within, from within us. I tried to show in Martin that you can't just slice off this evil part of ourselves and throw it away. It's a permanent part of us, and we'd better try and understand it. And I think he does do that quite yeah. well, because I think he demonstrates that actually mm. monsters come in all forms. There's monsters who believe themselves to be good, mm. and in reality are, are bad, like Cuda. And there are those who believe that they're bad, but yearn to be good, and that's that's Martin and that's the human condition as well is that if somebody if somebody shows some sort of desire to be better you'll have sympathy for them mm. but if somebody is arrogant and smug and unfeeling you won't yeah. so for me Cuda feels like a bigger monster than Martin yeah. even though for an hour and a half we've watched Martin drug and rape and murder women yeah. but I hate Cuda more yeah absolutely it's so weird it's so fucked up but I think I think it's because you can identify with Martin. You can identify, I think everyone, not just queer audience, but everyone, can identify with feeling like you're on the outside looking in. Mm -hmm. Everyone's had that moment where you don't feel... A, you don't feel like you fit in with the norm. B, you don't want to fit in with the norm because the norm's shit. Mm -hmm. And C, that sort of futile hopelessness where you you think, what what is my life ever going to be? Yeah, and he wants to be better. It's like... Yeah. The entire way where he's talking about how he doesn't want to be like that, he just wants to be good, but he doesn't want to be. But um, but like the, he he makes inroads into finding friends, but those people are fucked as well. Yeah. The the two people who are source of possible redemption for him, because actually, you could argue that if people took the time to spend time with Martin and to actually understand him and care for him, which obviously hasn't happened. Like you were saying, Stephen, there's obviously a, a, a warped history in that family yeah. that's made, that's shaped him. When he's shown that understanding, he isn't, he isn't, he isn't murderous, he's more controlled. Yeah. And yet the two people he has that connection with, he loses. Yeah. One leaves because she has to escape for her own survival yeah. and the other one has got the energy to continue surviving. Yeah, she succumbs, doesn't mm. she, to the depression. 
So it is quite it's it's quite a sad downbeat film, which George A. Romero is always quite good at making. He makes films that have got that have got humour in them. Because mm. this is funny in parts. But the end, but it's not a hor- the but end it's, is always crushing. Yeah. Really. Yeah. This yeah, isn't a, a horror punch again, just like in Nights of the Living Dead. It's not a horror comedy by any yeah. stretch. Mm. So it wouldn't want people who are listening to think Oh, there's like laugh out loud moments necessarily, but there's yeah. the, but they they might make you laugh, they might make you smile because they're a, a relief yeah. for the mm. the grim nature of the rest of the film. <laughs> but yeah. also the film throughout the film there are shades of humanity throughout it. So in life, nothing is just scary, nothing is just depressing, nothing is just funny. It's a mixture of everything, mm. really, and I think that's something because for me this film isn't a perfect film by any means. But it captures real people, mm. and it's almost documentary style in some of the yeah. scenes. It's like you're just watching people live, yeah. and yeah. when that happens, when something's shit, people still have a laugh. Mm. You know, so there are funny moments in it. I think the humour in it is good, but it's ultimately a, 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 it's ultimately a look at a ve- it's a very depressing snapshot of small town mm. America. I was no hopeful ending. I was thinking it reminded me a little bit of Gummo. Yeah, the very like. Because that's like a town after the, a hurricane, hurricane. And so it's like that dereliction and depression and stuff. It, it's it, vignettes and yeah. come out of humanity, isn't yeah. it? And again, there's bits in that where you think this is fucking awful, and yeah. then you start laughing at the next. Yeah. Thing that's what do. that's what it reminds me of. I was yeah. like, this is weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's interesting though. This was Romero's favorite of his films. Mm. It's not very prominent, is it? It's not one that people. No. It's lost amongst all of his films in some some ways, but I think that's because yeah, like we were talking before before this the before recording. It was it's not an easy watch, is it? No, yeah, no. it's not it's not a hugely engaging film. I think part of that style that you mentioned, where there's parts that feel documentary like, mm. they it, it's not some plot driven mm. movie that engages you and has. And has a pace. There isn't a pace to this film necessarily. That first five five minutes is a bit of an is a bit of an illusion in its mm-hmm. in and itself. The, yeah, yeah. Like, and the end. Well, it lures you into it, so so you do get you do get drawn into mm. it because by the end when the, the ending comes, it's a complete shock. Yeah, because you've been used to watching something that's quite quite trippy and um, ponderous mm. for the last hour and a half and then suddenly whack he gets fucking murdered by yeah. his uncle yes it's very bookended it's, it's like, like whoa <laughs> yeah sexual yeah. this is the well we're in at the yeah. beginning and then boom out of it so, isn't it true that it, there was a two hour and 45 minute version of the film yeah and that's been lost which I think <laughs> I think is a good thing yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think this condensed version of the film yeah is the and even this cross we could have been Trimmed slightly. Yeah, but again, but I think it's like I think it's it's, a nice it's, it's it's a good it's a, it's a good length. I think we've all felt like it felt like it was a longer yeah. film. <laughs> Jonathan's still laughing at my Actually, so Stephen, it's not done. Just Jonathan. You both ought to be ashamed of yourself. Sorry, it's been a long day. <laughs> a long day. A long one. It's been a long one. I think you um. But that's what it, it, it's a sign of just that it isn't an easy film yeah. to watch. Yeah. It's not, yeah, it's not a teen slasher. But I think it's, I do think it's worth watching. Now, this was my first time seeing it. Yeah. I've waited 30. The reason why I chose this film, I was asked to choose the film yeah, yeah. to host. I've just chosen it because it was 
Martin. <laughs> I've been waiting to watch this film for a long time because I've been intrigued by it because um, 30 years ago I bought an album by Soft Cell, the band that Mark Holman was in, and mm. on that album there was an extra there was an extra track. And this was before CDs, so I bought it fine, so you didn't actually get the extra track. I discovered the extra track on a 12-inch that came free in the limited edition of the album. 12-inch. It's all about the length. <laughs> um, and on that 12-inch, that there's a there's a, a, a synth... Um, a synth opus called Martin, which is about this film. It's wow. about this character, Martin, and it's a very oh, dramatic, um, odd... Film, but it's a perfect. It's a perfect summary of the. Wow. Of, of it is a perfect summary of this film. So I, I love it because it's just. It's a bit of eighties ridiculous horror pop. It is a horror <laughs> view. I think Soft Cell did lots of CD songs, but they did some songs which were sort of about murder and Brilliant. all sorts of things. So they were almost like the the horror filmmakers of pop music in <laughs> some ways. Can we get that on YouTube? You can get it on YouTube, yeah. The original version is 10 minutes long. What I'd recommend doing, it's quite trippy, especially when you're especially when your name is Martin. I have to say, <laughs> not in an ego way, but it, it is quite trippy, is put your earphones on and just settle down to be taken through the experience of listening to it okay. for 10 minutes. It's um, odd, and I think it possibly does give you an insight of what it feels like to be. Martin. <laughs> and we will, in the in the uh, spirit of the film and not wanting to cut any corners or make things easy for you, we'll include the full 10 minutes <laughs> at the end of this podcast. But, um, it's funny because I didn't think I'd listen to it with Martin if that was my name, like playing over, because I'd never been in the pictures. And um, is, it, is it Romero films? I think I was. He's coming to get you, Barbara. Barbara. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was sat in the cinema with my mum. He's called Barbara. Oh. <laughs> and we would, it just, the screen went pitch black and it went to come in to get you, Barbara. And me and my mum literally shit ourselves. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> screamed in the cinema. I don't know how I sat through this film without feeling a bit awkward because, um, when, because Martin is a relatively, it's, it's not a rare name, but it's a bit of an unusual name in, in England anyway it's very common in Ireland you don't get quite so many Martins these days mm. so when there's another person called Martin I almost feel a bit affronted that they've got my name mm. and they've stolen it and I feel a bit strange with Jonathan. it's yeah. very odd and you, even in in work recently there's been um, there's been there's been a couple of moments where there's been people called Martin for one reason or another that I've come into contact with and it's been very very been very very odd service users talking about somebody called Martin. Mm. I've got there's two um, uh, there's two writers now on the on the team with me called who are both called Jonathan, and I I feel quite like competitive with them. Like I'm my best friend now. Sometimes I have to think if they're talking about Martin, they're not talking about me. Mm. Yeah. And actually, sometimes I find myself thinking, yeah, it's not me. 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 I have the most generic name in the world. I went to school with. I think there was nine Stevens in my year and wow. five of them in my form but you never see them on film or anything Stevens, Stevens too generic I think to go on and um, mm. in a I film I've got dog the dog on the meme Stephen Stephen with a PH 
Stinet. Have you seen them? No. Oh, that's brilliant. I'll show you. <laughs> <laughs> I do get offended if you spell your name with a B, just saying, people. With a B, yeah. It's like me, I get offended if you spell it Jonathan. Jonathan. But, yeah, I'm really happy that you chose this, Martin. Thank you. No, that's it, wasn't, cool. it, 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 was a, it wasn't the... It wasn't the... Um, the type of film that I would normally mm. pick for this podcast when you put me on the spot to do that. But it's not your usual black and white... Horror with a <laughs> faded, faded movie queen in it. It's quite, it's quite modern for Martin's choices, I think. <laughs> it is. It's be contemporary. <laughs> um, so, hope you enjoyed our take on Martin. We all watched it on YouTube because I don't think it's actually available anywhere. Else, it might be available on DVD, but it's not available anywhere else that I could find. I think there's but a narrow, there's a narrow Romero box set of right. the films that aren't zombie films, and I think it's in that. Oh, that that dead till dust till dawn or something. It's, it's it? the films that he made between the zombies. And oh, I think okay, I yeah. think it might be in that, but I'm not sure. See with crazies and all and um, season of the witch, mm. which I've never seen. It's quite good. It's good quality on YouTube, actually. It is, and, yeah, there's a, my and there's a couple of adverts, but they're not very intrusive. So yeah. go ahead and watch it on YouTube. It's easily find, easy to find. Yeah. What did mm. you think of the bit with the chickens, Stephen? Um, just, I'm not amused. I was, watching it, I was watching it, and I went to bed. Oh, God, Stephen, I'm going to love this. <laughs> I didn't realise up until that bit, and it's near the end of the film. Yeah. His shop is a butcher's. Yeah, of course. That's why. Yeah, they were dropping off meat, and then the next second, but like it was just kind of innocuous in the background. But then it was like, oh, now we're gonna murder a chicken on screen. Oh, here's a duck that might get murdered as well. I was just like, don't fucking touch the duck. Yeah, the guy's just waiting on a duck around his neck. Yeah, I was just like, no, I was not okay. What did we think that was there for? That little section. I don't think it was a plea for vegetarianism. No. But I think it was it was to show that killing a murderer is part of everyday life. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like you know, what's really the difference between mm. this and this? And and it's actually, a little disgusting. Or it could be. Um, it was just happening, so he filmed it. Like the band walking. Like the band walking past. Oh, yeah. Maybe he was just walking past the butchers and was like, oh, can we do some. Was it also a slice of. A slice. Was it also a slice of life of that town? Like, that's one Maybe. of the industries that's in the town. Maybe. When they, you were saying about documentary kind of feel yeah. to it, that yeah. felt like it could yeah. have just come straight out of a documentary about that small town. Yeah. Maybe that's what it was then. Yeah. But also to show you that, yeah, it's like that's part of life. Killing mm. is part of human life as well. Mm. Maybe it could, it could be mm. that. I don't know. Um, Maybe it's an introduction to why Cuda is so casual. heartless. Very casual. Yeah, he's very casual about death. Do we mm. see him killing a chicken? No. No. But, but it's his business, isn't it? Yeah. I just don't need, I think we need to stop killing our novels. It's real comfortable. Let's kill more humans and babies. Yeah, although, you know, to be fair, it was 1978, so we don't kill as many animals in films now. Not that I know of. I mean, well, that... uh, I mean, that uh, that chicken was probably going to die anyway. That was in the butchers, wasn't it? So it's not like that uh, that chicken hasn't died for the film. It's like Cannibal Holocaust. No, no, no. They haven't gone out and go fucking just murder that tail. I think they were... That tail, let's chop off that monkey's head twice, because the first one wasn't gory enough, you know. They were filming an industry that was actually happening rather than... Yeah, totally. Fetching the chickens into yeah. to, to kill them yeah. to, for the film, which if you're anti-carnivore, is no makes no 
difference, but I think it does make, it does make a difference. It makes it moralistically different. I felt less uncomfortable moralistically watching it, however. Than watching a cannibal film. Yeah, than watching that. Yeah, no more animals died than would have died anyway. Yeah. 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 But I still did not enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, yeah, I didn't enjoy it. Um, talk to Twitter. I talked mm. to Twitter to ask what people thought of Martin. Martin. Um, Did the same cunt. So he said, <laughs> he, said <laughs> he said he's an egotistical bastard and he's completely up his own arse for not being on Twitter. That's what he said. Hashtag Martin. So Robopulp, I said there are any fans and Robopulp replied saying, right here, I saw it for the first time a few years ago and was blown away by its nuance and compassion towards the leading character. It's a time capsule of a time in America and a character study of a monster who's also a victim. <coughs> Sorry. Give me a second. <laughs> Steve's <coughs> dying. Um, oh we, we have a dying vegan. Are you alright? Yeah, go on. It's fine. fly. Can't take it. <laughs> <laughs> you swallowed worse. Um, <laughs> and um, the RoboPub says, send me a link to the podcast episode. So... You you will have had the link by now because you'll be listening to this. So there you go. This is <laughs> he, he also says, I'd love to hear what other people think of this film. Romero was a com- competent filmmaker whose overall filmography has been ignored in favour of the zombie movies, mm-hmm. zombie films. So Martin doesn't get discussed much. Hashtag George Romero. That's a fair comment. Scored to Death says, It's one of my favourite films. I've been fortunate enough to be asked to speak about it on podcast a handful of times. Wow. Um... Sorry we didn't ask you to go to death. We'll ask you next time. Uh, and I had the honour of interviewing the film's composer for my own podcast. Glad to see it's getting some love. Mm-hmm. Scored to death. We'll listen to your podcast next. Um, James Story says, Martin is my favourite Romero and quite a shock when I caught it on late night TV as a kid. Plus, for the first 20 minutes or so, the dimmed, doleful ambience had me convinced it was dubbed East European art film. <laughs> yes, it is problematic. Is a charismatic sex killer really a good thing? Yes. Yes. Is that Mujalo ever? Kill them all with your charisma and rape them too. Um, (laughs) Andrew Roberts says, Strange how we think of zombies with George Romero when he made this beautiful vampire film. Much more complex though, Martin is a masterful portrayal of a mentally tortured soul who can't stop his habit of drinking blood. And it was seized during the nastiest scare, so I'm honest. Mm. We didn't know that. We didn't know that. Mm -hmm. We didn't cover that. Badly researched by the host. I did actually. <laughs> <laughs> I it on Wikipedia, but I forgot to bring it up. <laughs> well, it's no excuse. Um, oh, the guy talking about the score. So for me, the weakest link in the film for me was the score. I didn't like it. It sort of it annoyed me. Mm. The plinky plonky ambient bit sort of took me out of it. I don't remember, but that's not really yeah, good. Yeah, I don't. Let me just it doesn't see who did the. Can I think that might be a key bit of? Oh no, it wasn't. The the yeah, this, I thought it was by somebody else. The score is by somebody called Donald Rubenstein. Okay. Mm. Is he related to Richard Rubenstein? No. Um, you can't click the link on your paper. <laughs> can't click the link on your paper. <laughs> <laughs> Hyperlink. <laughs> Hyperlink's not working. Also, the, the uh, interesting what um, one of the people who commented said about it feeling a bit European. Because mm. yeah. I thought it did. And when it first started, Ben said, Is this Italian? Yeah. Before, it, before they started. <coughs> it did feel a bit Italian at the very beginning. Mm. 
like I think they're slow and they're e-pace. Also, you're not used to American long distance travel not being a great arm bus. <laughs> yes, that's, that's true. That's true. Mm. And also, me and Ben have only just rewatched uh, the late night trains, uh, night train murders, mm. which is Italian and mm. sits on a train, a sleeper train. So that might be what well, fed into Ben thinking that as well. But there you go. Thank you, everyone, for getting in touch. So that's it for this episode. I think we've got through at a quicker pace than the actual film managed <laughs> <laughs> to do we've it's drained, speedy we've drained it dry we've drained it dry so we look forward to, to, to you being with us next time you can get Jonathan Larkin at Johnny Larkin on Twitter that's very aggressive <laughs> <laughs> Johnny Larkin you can get Stephen H. Stay 99 that's very passive aggressive very passive <laughs> Uh, Cthulhu 502 and you'll get me at your local radio talk radio <laughs> telephone in as the Countess the Countess <laughs> you'd be phoning in to Pete Price as the Countess There's an illness flowing through him That's all